everybody, wherever you are today. We're going to get right in the Word. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. People have said, you know, the, the name of the series is Spirit and Truth, and John chapter 4, that's where that phrase is used, Spirit and Truth, but we haven't, we haven't taught on that yet. Why did we wait until the last uh, week in the series? Usually we start with this, this, you know, this is the foundation of the series. It is the foundation, but we haven't gotten to the foundation of it yet, and I think you're going to find out why in just a little bit. So just to review, guys, this is week four. We learned that salvation is the root of worship. We learned that uh, freedom is the fruit of worship. I hope you've been experiencing that. I, I've heard more people say, I'm just glad in times like these I know who wins the game. I've heard that phrase. It's become a part of our dialogue now, you know, to say I, I know who wins the game. And if you, you missed that sermon, go back two weeks and watch it. Um, we talked about last week how worship is a key that opens the doors to the kingdom of heaven, how things happen because of worship that don't happen without worship. It positions your heart. It positions your life. It positions your family. It positions your community for things that God has for you. And today we're, we're talking about uh, worship being the highest, greatest, best, most fitting way to live before God, period. Um, whether you know it or not, you are a worshiper. You may say, you know, I, I, I like your church, and I'm glad the kids go down, the, you know, the 12-year-olds that worship in the altar and the, the 22-year-olds that worship in the altar. Um, but I, it just it isn't my thing. I want you to know something. No matter how you demonstrate your love for God in a worship setting at a church, you're a worshiper. You say, I, I don't know. I'm not an overt worshiper. I say, okay, let me take you to a favorite football game and have your team be down by six in the last seconds, and the stupid hiker goes over the top of the punter. Yes, I'm talking Michigan, Michigan State, and, and it, it turns to be a turnover and a touchdown, and Michigan State wins the game. I don't care how atheistic, non-worshipping anybody is. If you're a Michigan State fan, you stood your feet and just went, you know what I mean? You, you went nuts and because you're a worshiper. Now, you're worshiping the wrong thing, but you're a worshiper. You're dwelling on something. You're loving something. Something is so high that your mind is turned towards it, and you give your life to it, whatever it is. So worship is not a lot of things that I think we've called worship, and worship is so much more than I think we regularly or commonly would define worship as. So we're going to get into this because Jesus has this conversation with this Samaritan woman outside of a village called Sychar, and uh, she's getting some water. His disciples have gone into the village to get some food, which is almost a no-no. The, the Samaritans and the Jews don't play nice together. They haven't for generations. Um, it, it kind of the, if, if you wanted to really get somebody, they'd say you're a demon-possessed uh, Samaritan. You know what I mean? Like, it's like they didn't like them. And uh, it, was, it was a cut down to be called a Samaritan to a Jew. It was a cut down to a Samaritan to be called a Jew. So it's, they just didn't like each other a lot. So he's sitting at this well, kind of waiting for the disciples to come back from Sychar with food. And here comes this gal with some empty water containers, and she's going to get water. And uh, um, a woman at the well, it has nothing to do with worship, except because of their conversation, Jesus is going to open up some, some really deep understandings of what worship is. So we're, we're kind of observing, listening on their conversations with the woman in the well. Now, this is what I know about her. The Bible tells us a lot about her just from kind of the forensic evidence as you read Scripture. Um, but we know that she was kind of a piece of work. <laughs> we, know that, we know that she was a stinker. We know that she used her words like a machine gun in combat. We know that she was a little snotty to, a, uh, to the Messiah. We know that she didn't get Jesus, and she was trying to kind of tick him off and push him away and offend him so she could not talk to this guy anymore. It's kind of her M.O. because of what she'd been through. We know that, that she was hated, so she learned to hate back, sometimes hate preemptively. Before you get a chance to reject me, I, obviously you're being nice to me. Jesus says, hey, you're getting some water. Could I have a drink? She's like, oh, who are you? 
you know, Jewish man to talk to Samaritan woman, what she's doing is saying this, I'm not sure if you understand who I am, but before I'm nice to you and begin to kind of feel, you know, connected to you, and then you realize who I am and reject me, I'm going to reject you first. How can you, a Jewish man, ask me for a drink of water? We know that she had been biased against, and so she learned to be biased. Um, it's funny, the very thing she, she's been hurt by is men. Her femininity has been just ravaged over and over and over again. And so she, she goes to Jesus, and I don't trust you. You're, you're a Jew, and you're a man. And so she learned to be biased against men. Um, she was rejected, so she learned never to trust. You say, well, how do, where do you get that from the Scripture? Well, I, it's just, you read into it, and culturally, if you're going to carry water that weighs 7 pounds per gallon, the average household needing about 10 gallons, you got 70 pounds. The Bible says this happened at the heat of the day. Now, if you're going to get 70 pounds of water and carry it back, the reason no one else is there is because everybody in their right mind did it before the sun got hot. So I think she's there because to, to just avoid people. She'd been hurt by people. She'd been biased against. There was gender issues, and she was rejected. And she just kind of like, well, I'll just, you know, forget all of you. I'll just go get water when no one else is there. People had said and done terrible things to her. We know this because she's had five husbands, and the man she's living with now is not her husband. The Bible doesn't explain if she's having an affair with a married man or there's some guy in her life, but he's like, I'm not marrying some lady that's lost out. I mean, a five-time loser? Forget you. And she's being used. You know what I mean? I'm not sure if she's using or being used, but people have said and done terrible things to her. So she did terrible things to people before they had a chance. Are you, are you guys getting a feel for who this lady is? So you say, where's the teaching on worship come from? Jesus. Because none of this has to do with, with worship, right? Then one day she runs into Jesus, and she tried every offensive move she had. She tried every defensive line that was in her arsenal, and Jesus just kept loving her. So in desperation, after all this dialogue back and forth, read about it in John chapter 4. Uh, she plays her, her absolute right bower. Boom, my trump card. And because of this moment, Jesus is now going to open her eyes and by default our eyes to what God means when he says worship. This is what happens. Um, he's just said, you've, you've been married five times and the man you're living with is not your husband. And so she says back to him, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Now that seems like a breakthrough. I promise you it's not. It's not a breakthrough. She's just going to twist her angle to get rid of this guy by not using religion as, as the fulcrum to leverage the conversation away. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. The Samaritans, we think we're right, and we worship here. You Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's the Kobayashi Maru test. If you say we should worship here, you've disowned Judaism. You say we should worship in Jerusalem, you've disowned me. No matter what Jesus is about to say, because of the binary choice, whatever he says, she wins. This is literally checkmate, except <laughs> no one had ever gotten past this point of contention with her before until, here comes Jesus. Look at this. <clears throat> Here's the teaching on worship. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, isn't this an interesting moment in church history? We are right now, some of you are in your cars, some of you are in your family room, some of you are in a bathtub, some of you are, are in this room right now, braving your lives at six-foot intervals, in case the CDC is watching, everybody's at least six feet apart from everybody else, metric feet, and uh, there's literally, there's, I counted, there's exactly 25 people here tonight, so we fall within the guidelines. Isn't that exciting? We're not breaking the law for once at Freedom Center Church, yay. Um, so, but with all this going on, um, he's saying to her, listen, worship is not, everybody say not. Not about where. 
Isn't that great? Like we planned this teaching a month ago, not realizing that that sentence, that line, worship is not about where. When I wrote that message, when I wrote that sentence, when I, when I made the skeletal outline of this teaching a month ago, nobody had any idea that we'd be scattered in every direction all over the community and all over the world and only a handful of us would be in a room together. Why? Because it could be, it was unknown. There was no one that predicted this two, three, four weeks ago. It wasn't on a radar. It was something that was happening in woohoo China somewhere. It wasn't anything that had to do with us, and here we are today scattered. So I want you to know something. Wherever you're watching this from and wherever that happens to be, if you're in a vehicle, you're at a kitchen table, you're whatever, hear me. It doesn't matter where you worship because worship is not about where. It's not about, it's, it's not, it's not about I can only worship if I'm in this room wearing these clothes at this time. It's not. Worship, as we're going to learn from Jesus, is not about where. So you can worship in a sanctuary. You, sh- you can worship in a, g- a gymnasium cafetorium, which is what the elementary school calls the room that has to double for everything. You can worship on a softball field. You can worship on a football field in a lightning storm in the, in the middle of, of the 50-yard line. You can worship in a strip mall parking lot on the 4th of July. You can worship in about 20 different nations that I know of personally. And you may be even able to worship in your car sometime soon. You say, how do you know that, Jim? Because Freedom Center Church has worshipped in those places. We have worshipped at the 50-yard line in a lightning storm where we called all the churches together for prayer. We're between metal posts stuck on either side of a flat piece of ground. The police showed up to say, you guys, what are you doing? I said, officer, get back in your car. You're in danger here. And he laughed. He's like, that's what I'm saying. What are you doing? He's like, we're worshipping. Put your hands down. We're worshipping. It was was hard to be around like Pastor Kyle. He's tall. He's going first. I don't want to be standing next to him, you know. Uh, and the strip mall parking lot on the 4th of July, I, you know, we've had these services in these places. Guys, listen, we have worshipped all over the world. We've worshipped without roofs. We've worshipped without walls. We've worshipped without electricity. Wherever you are right now, it doesn't matter where you are, it's time to worship. Because it's not about where. Now, Jesus continues. Look what else he says. He says, you, everybody say you. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We, everybody say We. We, the Jews, we worship what we do know. In other words, what he's saying is, is there, there's a separation between culture, between language, between people, between geography. Your traditions, what, who you love, who you hate, what you eat, where you're from, all your sacred stories, we're all completely different. And so he's going to say this. Listen, it's not just about the, the first part, but the second part as well. Worship is not about who. It's really cool that worship is not a Samaritan thing, Jesus is saying. And worship is not a Jewish thing. Jesus is saying. Can I take it a step farther? Worship's not a Protestant thing. Worship's not a Catholic thing. Worship's not a mainline denomination thing. It's not a Baptist thing. It's not a Lutheran thing. Worship, when we talk about worship, we're talking about the, the traditions that, that have formed through the centuries since Jesus founded the church on the day of Pentecost. But I want you to understand this. Worship is expressed, not contained by the traditions of worshipers. I love all the expressions. I, I was in Rome oh, last fall. And, and my feet were hurting because everything's made out of cobblestones and I'm wearing cheap tennis shoes. And I, I, we went to this place to kind of eat and hang out. And I thought, oh, I'll just go sit down somewhere. Well, there's a Catholic church. I thought, I'll go sit in the Catholic church and just have a time of prayer. As I sat down in the Catholic church, the Italian priest walked in with some sort of stuff that's burning and kids and scrolls. And they walk down and ho e ho Oh, and he gets up to the front, and these, my dominoes fall faster than your dominoes. Oh, man. I, I know what's going on. But what was funny is in the reverence of Catholicism, let me tell you something. I found the presence of God. 
I mean, Catholics have a, a cornered market on reverence. We don't know it is to walk into a sanctuary and be holy. We walk into a, an auditorium. We hang out with our friends. And can I tell you something else? It's beautiful that we walk into an auditorium and we hang out with our friends. It's beautiful that the altars are filled with people not being reverent, but being irreverent and expressing their love for God. I, I love the way Baptists worship. They get out songs that are hundreds of years old that are utterly and completely biblical, and they sing them verse by verse and chorus by chorus, shoulder to shoulder, at least six feet apart nowadays, and they sing these sacred hymns that are written by Fanny Crosby and, and Revivalists and Moody. And I'm telling you something, guys. You say, well, that's not the way I like to worship. It isn't about the way we like to worship. It's about the way he wants to be worshiped. And so stylistically, again, worship is expressed, but it's not contained by the traditions of worshipers. I, I love this stuff. But guys, listen, there's no one tradition. And, and God forgive us if we, ever, if we ever think that there is. The way we worship is superior to, please stop. There is nothing better about um, reverence than there is about exuberance, than there is about, you know, biblical literacy, than there is about, listen, Worship has to do, we're going to find out very soon, not with tradition, but with two other things, not made by men. Let's go on. It's not about who, right? And he says this, Jesus continues, yet a time is coming and has now come. What's he saying? Well, it's not about where, and it's not about who. Third thing, it's not about when. Some of you guys are watching this, and it's Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and you just watch worship, and you watch the video, and you heard the great things that Freedom Center Church is doing out in the world and in the community, and truck stops, and nursing homes, and taking care of people. I love that. That was encouraging to me. But how many of you guys know it doesn't matter when you hear that good news, you're going to worship wherever you are. I'm glad that God is sending people to nursing homes and sending books and sending, how can I get involved in this? Well, that's, it doesn't matter when that happens. When you watch this, when you heard that, like, well, I, I didn't see it at 9 o'clock, and the anointing is gone by 1030. That might be true in a live service. Thank you for not amening. Although those of you at live stream, I could hear it. My heart was broken by that. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Listen, the, the anointing of the Lord is on scripture that was written thousands of years ago. What I'm saying is this. The anointing of God is transferable through a multitude of medium. You say, I don't know. You got to be in person to be there. Okay. Explain Billy Graham's TV ministry. You know what I mean? Explain revival that has happened through the airwaves. Explain radio, television, print, books, your Bible. Listen, I'm telling you, the anointing of the Lord, the truth of God is absorbed through people, but it's, it's transferred through all sorts of different things. It doesn't matter when you see this, you can worship. Say this, I watched this, it's kind of a 10 years later, I just thought I'd tune up and see some oldies. You know, back when YouTube wasn't a holographic image that appeared in my family room as in flesh. I thought I'd look at the old, like we look at black and white stuff now, they're going to look at the YouTube videos of before, whatever it is, live stream. Oh yeah, there used to be a company called live stream. I remember that before they went out of business, right? But whatever it is, you might be watching this 10, 20, 30 years from now. This might be playing at my funeral. But what you're, what you're seeing right now has an anointing on it that will always be on it. Because it doesn't matter when. Everybody say it with me. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't, right? The disciples, you know where they first worshiped? We learned about this. It's in the middle of the night in a very unorthodox setting. One of them was wet from having fallen in the water and from being scared. We'll just leave it right there. How many of you guys know if you're that scared, you want to at least get wet up to your waist? Somebody say amen, right? Let's say, oh, and then just rinse a little bit. Jesus picks you up, carries you back. Things are better, right? So it doesn't matter when. Look at this. This is what he says. He continues. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. There it is. And truth. For they. Everybody say they. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He continues. Verse 24. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Um, 
This is a little bit hard to understand because we say in the spirit, capital S, in the spirit, small s. My understanding of these words and, and their original meaning has something to do a lot, a lot more than just, okay, it's spiritual worship, like my, my eyes are closed and I feel something or my eyes are opened and, and it's spiritual because it's true or whatever. Really what, what this is talking about is there's a, there's a fully, when the Bible says spirit, it means the totality. See, we, we think of body, soul, and spirit. The Bible speaks of spirit, soul, and body. That makes sense? Like our world today, we think the flesh, the emotions, and the spirit realm. The Bible just turns that on its head. It's, it's literally a spirit, soul, and body. So he says, all, love the Lord your God with all of your spirit. It's, it's talking about that which encompasses all the rest of you. When your spirit leads, your body and your soul will follow. Does that make sense? So when he talks about this, you must worship. God is spirit, and his worshipers must, spirit, must worship in spirit or in the spirit. And in truth, what he's talking about, there's, there's a totality. There's a sold-outness. There's a... There's a, there's a, boy, there's just an all in. There's a chips in the middle of the table, win or lose. There's a faith to it. There's a faithfulness to it. Engaging your inner man to adore in complete sincerity the one worthy of worship. Peterson, in a, a transliteration, and I want to be careful when I use things like the message translation because it's, it's one man's opinion, and instead of it being word by word, it's thought by thought. So I, I preface this by saying this, but I like what he did with this because after reading the original languages, doing some study, and seeing how Peterson handled it, this is what he says in uh, John chapter 4, verse 23 in the message translation. And worship team, come join me if you would, please. It says, but the time is coming, and in fact has come. In other words, Jesus says it's, it's not about when. When what you're called will not matter, so it doesn't matter who you are, and where you are, there's that proximity again, where you go to worship will not matter. So this is what matters. It's who you are. Everybody say that with me. It's who, say it again. It's at home, say it with me. It's who you are and the way you live. Jesus has just redefined the modern understanding of worship to something far deeper than the song we sing with the people we know in the place we love at the time we choose. Jesus has blown apart, and, and this is not an indictment on the modern church jock. Hey, I found fault. Let's expose it and write a book. What I'm saying is simply this. I think the corporate expression of worship is a beautiful thing. It's biblical. It's commanded. It's wonderful. Somebody say amen. But worship is not contained by the time in which we sing our songs. It literally is this. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit and the pursuit of truth that's the kind of people the Father is looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Look at verse 24 here. God is sheer being itself. Remember this word spirit. He is sheer being. It's nothing's fading, nothing's going away, nothing's moody. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. So the song you sing to God is secondary to the life you live before God. Freedom Center Church and anyone else who's watching this, hear me. The song you sing to God is secondary to the life you live before God. Tweet it, think about it, meditate on it. The song you sing to God is secondary to the life you live before God. As God defines worship, he is not negating the song that the Baptist would sing from the hymnal that's biblical. He's not negating the reverence that the Catholics would enjoy as they walk into Mass. He's not negating the exuberance of the Charismatics. He's not. He's not saying that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. He's, he's, he's taking those things. He's receiving those things as worship. But he's adding to it and saying worship is not the thing at the place, at the time, with the people. Worship 
Worship is about you. It's about the depth of your being. So if you're watching this, you're like, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm really missing corporate worship. I promise you, you're worshiping right now. We are worshiping right now. We're about to go back to a song. But we are, if, if you can feel that anointing, wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you are, you're worshiping. When you check on your neighbor, when you send a text to a friend, when you um, are faithful in prayer, giving, devotions, love, you're worshiping. More important, we can sing a beautiful song and have a deep emotional experience, but if we walk out of the presence of God that, that is honestly a, a corporate thing, we, you didn't just create it yourself, we, it, you know, that, that anointing's in a room, maybe not because you brought it, because you, but because you enjoyed it and others created it. Like we have worship leaders, but you, you know that as good as a worship leader is, if there aren't lead worshipers in the congregation, worship can feel kind of flat. Like Easter Sunday is not the best day of worship we have because there's a lot of people that come because they're they're Christians, Christmas and Easter, and they don't know. They, they're not entering in. They're just kind of standing and watching politely and tolerating worship. And so, you know, we don't, we don't get as deep sometimes worshiping on Easter because the room is a little diluted by those who choose not to. But I, I'm just telling you, wherever you are right now, it's not diluted by anything. I, I, Jim, there's so much going on right now. I don't have time to think about worship. There's, there's too many things. As soon as I get everything under control, then I'll worship. Hear me. There will be a day where worship will be the only thing that you have to think about. There will be a day where the only box you have to check is love Jesus. That's it. So if that's a day for someday and that's what heaven is, then why not bring heaven to earth and make it the first thing on your to-do list? Why not incorporate worship and integrity and praise and biblical living and reverence and exuberance into the moments of your life as you're living them now, as you're living them tomorrow, as you're living them on Tuesday and Wednesday, the occasion is more important than the scheduled meeting. Take this occasion and be a worshiper. Corporate worship is awesome, but it's only one expression, and it's limited by space, it's limited by time, it's limited by people. And so let's add to your life, or in this point, we've, we've subtracted this setting from your life. Let's add worship into your everyday, not just your Sunday, not just your every other Sunday. I, I just recently had this wonderful experience where the world was getting heavy on me. I needed answers. I couldn't find them. We're trying to pioneer ways to, to be a church during these troubling times. And uh, my wife said, hey, have you seen this, this song, The Blessing by Carrie Job? Joby or Job? Carrie Job. And I said, no. And I'm like, I don't want to watch a video right now. i got too much in my mind. This, this song really blessed me. Like, it's a 12-minute long song. It, it, it just, the, the worshipers don't want it to stop, so it continues and continues. I'm telling you, by the time that 12 minutes was over with, my attitude had done this. All of a sudden, my problems weren't so big, I didn't have time for God. My God was so big, I didn't have time for my problems. It reshaped it, refocused it. That's what worship does. It's that key, remember? It's that key that unlocks the kingdom. You are loved by a love that won't let go. Don't stand to our feet here and wherever you are, in a car, you know, in your kitchen, in bed, wearing your cozy pants. That was for you, Devo. Wearing your cozy pants, your PJs. Wherever you are, you know what time it is? It's time to worship. I need a sanctuary. You just made one. The presence of God just made a sanctuary wherever you are. Close your eyes and let's just let's just rejoice in the love that won't let go of us.
this is, this is weird. I'm singing out loud. It's just me. Just sing out loud. Love that won't let go. It's time to learn new ways, new places, new times. Paul and Silas can worship in a prison cell. You can worship in a family room.
know, I, I'm getting this, I'm feeling this, something, something's moving inside of me. I just, I just feel led right now to stop what we're doing and say to you, if you're not right with God, and, and maybe that maybe that's almost sounds too Christianese. Let me just say it this way. If between your heart and what you know is the heart of God, there's something blocking. It's cold, it's distant, it's... I would just say, what, what is it that would stand between you and Almighty God? Whatever it is, God didn't put it there, right? Jesus is clear, come near to me and I will draw near to you. Jesus invites us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all you are weary, heavy laden, take my yoke on you, like learn how to carry the load of life for me. Uh, I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart. He says, you'll find rest for your soul. If you don't have rest, if you don't have peace, then perhaps the Prince of Peace, the one who promised you rest, is a long ways away. Let me, let me tell you how to get that distance brought back to zero. It's called repentance. It's called saying, I need you. It's called coming home for some. For some, it's, it's allowing the adoptive love of a fatherly God to bring you into his family. It's humbling. Um, there's usually tears or joy or some weird conglomeration, some casserole of emotions. If you're far from God, he is waiting for you. You're not waiting for him. I'm confused. I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. Where was God? Why isn't God? Stop. God loves you. Know that. God is near to you. Know that. And by simply saying to him, I need you. Take away my fear. I need you. Take away that which distances our hearts. I need you. Forgive my sins. I need you. Set me free. Or maybe even, and I, again, I just feel led the Holy Spirit to say this. I don't know when, who's watching this. I don't know when. I don't know where. But if hope is almost down to zero, I would ask you to put your hope in the Lord. You can put your hope in the economy, but we don't know when it's coming back. You can put your hope in doctors, but we don't know. Put your hope in your counselor. Put your hope in your medication. Put your hope in your lawyer, your banker, people. But haven't we all been disappointed by that sooner or later? The one that has never disappointed me, the one that always has brought me his hope, if I can't hope in someone changing, I can hope in the one who can change them. My trust, my hope is in the Lord. And I just want to pray for you right now, wherever you are. Father, if hope is evaporating, if fear has taken over, if hopelessness and despair and, and just a darkness has come upon the hearts of the people who watch this, well, in the name of Jesus, we declare liberty to the captive. We declare salvation to those that are lost. We, we declare a key of the kingdom of God to be placed in their hand to unlock the riches of heaven. We declare that the best way, the richest way, the blessed way is the way of worship. And God, we pray that right where they are, right here and now, whether it's on their knees or as they drive down the road, tears streaming down their face or laughter coming out of their mouth or just a sense of stillness, we pray now let salvation come into their hearts and their homes. Let deliverance and freedom. We're praying for you right now. People that are watching this, when you see this, if you're, free, if you're free and you're good and you're safe, just join me in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, break off the chains just like you did for Paul and Silas. Open doors that no man can open. Close doors back to a hopelessness that no man, no man, just close up, no man could open it again. We declare freedom, hope, peace, love, joy in the lives we're fighting for you right now. We are fighting for you right now. Don't give up. You're like, man, I don't know what to do. 810-629-5261. Call that number. As soon as I get that message, I'm calling you. We're praying together. I'll meet you somewhere. 
not at a restaurant, but we'll drive through something. The church is here. Jesus is near. We're ready for this. He's ready for you now. Father, I pray your blessings. As people begin to turn off their computers and go their separate ways, remind us of what we're to do now. Worship's not the song we just sung. It's the life we now live that brings you glory and praise. We just connect ourselves with vines and branches connected so that who you are flows through who we are and fruit that looks like Jesus is produced from our lives. Thank you for the moments we've had to share. Bless every watcher, listener, person who talks about it later. Bless them with truth and freedom in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Live long, guys. We'll see you soon.